0: Ending the Climate Crisis in One Generation by Paul Hawken. And today we're going to feel the buzz of energy as we discuss renewable energy, green energy. We'll talk about electric cars, transportation methods, heat pumps to warm and cool our buildings, and energy storage on large and small scales. If you're new to this series, I encourage you to go back to the introduction and listen to the episode where I interview Paul, just before the beginning of this book series, That will provide all the context you need and get you thinking about what regeneration means to you. To make your discovery process easy, links to each episode are included in chronological order in the show notes for each regeneration episode. You can also visit caremorebebetter.com for access to the complete series simply by clicking on the regeneration category of podcasts. On the website, you'll find full transcripts, YouTube videos of our guest interviews, guest bios, and the links to all of their social and contact details. You'll also find ways that you can support the show. You can even leave me a voicemail and share your thoughts by clicking the microphone icon in the bottom right-hand corner, or send me an email note from the contact page. I'd love to hear your thoughts and any questions you might have for Paul Hawken. Because guess what? At the end of this series, I'll be submitting a list of community questions to Paul so he can answer them directly through a blog on caremorebebetter.com. And as I alluded just a moment ago, this is a listener-supported show. Every contribution helps us continue to produce great content. You can become a Patreon supporter for as little as $2 a month. You could buy sustainable merch or even make a one-time donation via PayPal. Okay. Are you ready to feel the buzz, that energy that we're going to learn all about today? Okay, here goes. Remember this, Paul defines regeneration simply as putting life at the center of every action we take and every decision we make. And it's with this lens that we're going to visit today's journey. Paul commences the chapter with a simple sentence, quote, global warming will not be stopped and reversed without ending the use of fossil fuels, end quote. That's a reality that we all face. And the decision we make in coming months and years as a collective society will have an impact on global warming, good or bad. We have to think about three things as we work towards solutions. Number one, what is a source of the energy? Number two, what is it used for? And number three, how do we make use of it? Or perhaps more importantly, how do we optimize our use of it? Many of the ways we currently use energy aren't nearly as efficient as they could be. Many homes have insufficient insulation, outdated lighting, and appliances that use much more energy than the modern options do, resulting in this. We waste energy. Paul asks us to think of energy use in terms of the work it can do. He equates a barrel of oil to a servant. And when we look at it this way, an Indian household uses five servants, while an American household uses 400. Does that not sound opulent? Coal, gas, and oil make up 84% of global energy use today. And some of the deposits we're capturing for that energy production date back 650 million years ago. Emissions from use of coal, gas, and oil totals 35 billion tons per year. We're borrowing resources from the past. We're stealing them from the future. To slow global warming and begin to repair the damage that we're doing and that we have done, we must reduce consumption from 35 billion tons per year to 11 billion tons. And we must do that by 2030. Today, renewable energy only comprises 5% of total primary energy use, so we have 95% of that way to come. Sources include solar, wind, hydropower, and geothermal energy. Solar energy is the largest contributor to our green energy at the present time. It's also known as photovoltaic energy. For any of you that want to geek out on the research, just Google that term. What's important to note is this, the sun is the most abundant energy source that we have, but it's still a finite resource. The sun only shines certain times of the year on certain spots of the globe, certain times of the day. So we need to develop more efficient capture and storage methods to ensure that we can sustain power over long stretches. Costs of solar continue to fall, making it a more viable option as time goes on. It's essentially at an efficiency tipping point. Quote, In May 2020, renewably generated electricity in the United States topped coal for the first time. Three quarters of the coal-powered plants in the United States could be shut down, mothballed, and replaced with solar, and it would save money for the owners of those plants while lowering electricity rates for consumers. Coal has become a fossil fuel in the true sense of the word. It's dead, end quote. And that was from page 199. This lays before us what would seem a simple task: shut down coal, replace it with solar and other renewable energy. Do it now. And you can play a part in that too. I learned something in this chapter that was a bit unsettling, if not entirely surprising. It would turn out that JP. Morgan Chase is the banker that is doing the most to finance fossil fuels. And so this leads me to today's confession. Uh, Geez, to be honest, it feels like this exploration of regeneration leads me on this path quite a few times. There's been a few confessions in this podcast series. Okay, here it is. I've been banking with Chase since 2010, and now I'm looking for another bank. (laughs) So it looks like 2021 will be the year that that ends. 11 years of banking with Chase and goodbye forever. They also happen to manage my Amazon Prime credit card. Yes, that very e-commerce giant that I'm also working to leave behind. I am changing how our household economies impact global emissions, and apparently I needed to look at my bank too. So let this serve as a mid-podcast reminder. You can vote with your dollars by making simple changes to who you bank with and who you shop with. Goodbye, Chase. Goodbye, Amazon. I may miss your convenience, but I'm proud to leave you behind in my rearview mirror. Earth matters more than convenience. Okay, moving on to electric vehicles. In 2020 alone, more than 3 million electric vehicles were sold worldwide, and many car manufacturers have now publicly announced they plan to end production of those internal combustion engines. GM will leave them behind by 2035 and Volkswagen, the largest car manufacturer in the world, will do so by 2026. That being said, in 2019, the USA averaged 390 million gallons of fuel for vehicles per day. This startling figure and the rampant fires that we've been experiencing here in California led Gavin Newsom to the easy decision to sign off on ending the sale of all new gas and diesel-powered vehicles by 2035. New Jersey quickly followed suit, and as a result, our charging infrastructures will need vast improvements and new technology that enables batteries to be fueled more quickly. Some technologies can do so in as little as five minutes, but they are not widespread yet. These things will need to become more mainstream for more areas to adopt their use. We're on our way. And while the Model 3 Tesla is a best-selling electric vehicle worldwide, other EV options may be more affordable and less resource-intensive. I personally leased a Chevy Bolt for that reason. It may be less sexy, but it does the same job. And if we're going to really turn the tide, I believe it's necessary to think more about function and efficiency, and less about form. On October 29th, Elon Musk became the first person to be worth more than $300 billion. Think about that for a moment. He sold more Model 3 Teslas than any other electric vehicle, and let's watch his wealth soar. The concentration of wealth at the top has become comical. How about this? Let's make less centa-billionaires, or even centa-millionaires, and build more regenerative, circular economies around the globe. It's time. Capturing energy to support our electric vehicle explosion will be one giant task, but unless we're careful, the only people that will truly benefit are those on top. Let's harness the power of the sun and the earth so we can all get there, but let's do so mindfully. Geothermal energy provides one great renewable option for our uses. From page 206. Quote, one of the electricity-producing renewable sources of energy is a traditional form of geothermal, very hot water. This geothermal energy is left over from the formation of the planet 4.5 billion years ago, and the heat generated from the decay of radioactive minerals. Temperatures at the Earth's inner core can exceed 5,000 degrees Celsius, roughly the same as the surface of the sun. Cracks in the crust often found where tectonic plates meet, allow magma to rise close to the surface, heating reservoirs of water. These reservoirs are accessed by drilling boreholes. The water and steam are then piped up to the power plant, where they are converted into electricity. It can also be used as a heat source to warm buildings. When the water has cooled, it is sent back to the reservoir, reheating, which makes it a renewable resource." The beauty of geothermal energy is that it is not seasonally affected. It works around the clock, day after day, year after year, whether the wind blows or the sun shines. It's constant. It's renewable. And think about this. The very technology that Paul describes here is similar to a heat pump. Cool water drifts back down the thermal vent where it is heated, and as it is heated, it rises back into the power plant to create more energy. Beautiful. On page 209 in a photo caption, Paul describes how heat pumps work. Quote, heat pumps pull heat out of the air or ground, working like an air conditioner in reverse. Heat pumps can supply a household or entire building with all the required heat and hot water and reduce energy costs by 50%. If the electricity used to power the heat pumps is renewably sourced, they produce a 95-plus percent reduction in greenhouse gas emissions. We will need to electrify everything to remove our reliance on fossil fuels, so ensuring that we are as mindful of consumption as possible will be key. We need to remove our reliance on fossil fuels. That gas fuel dryer and HVAC system poses long-term problems when we consider the impact of their fuel consumption. It's therefore imperative that we begin the transition to electrify everything. Some counties and some states have even developed building codes that require all new builds to be 100% electrified. Just across the highway from where I live, there's a condo complex that boldly boasts 100% electric on the for sale sign for all of their units. It's the wave of the future for certain. But of course, 100% electric is only a really good thing if the resources we're consuming are renewable. Solar farms, wind farms, geothermal plants, and more will be needed to support ongoing energy needs. Improving efficiencies and reducing energy use will also be key, even though electric-only homes and buildings waste less energy than gas-fueled appliances. Quote, While electrifying everything ultimately reduces overall energy use, it requires doubling the amount of electricity needed from 2.3 terawatts to 4.8 terawatts by 2050. One of the challenges we must tackle as we build an infrastructure that can hold the requisite power is energy storage. In Iceland, most of their power is geothermal, and it's produced year-round, even when cold, dark winters descend on their residents. But geothermal vents aren't always close enough to the surface to employ this method around the globe, so we will need energy storage to support our energy consumption when the sun is not shining and the wind is not blowing. By 2050, a totally renewable electrical grid will require a storage capacity of roughly 4.4 million gigawatt hours per year. And this is 275,000 more than current storage capacities. The current technology used to store most power is the lithium-ion battery. Thankfully, costs on these batteries continue to fall, but they cannot meet all of our energy storage needs, and their cost on the environment is high from a resource perspective. They have limited lives, and the energy they store is meant to be used in hours, not days, weeks, or even months. So they will not work for solar storage from the summer to carry you through a dark winter. Thankfully, engineers and scientists are busy creating inventive solutions from abundant materials. This is from page 211, and it covers a few of them. I encourage you to read this section of the book, because there are many more. Quote, Researchers at the University of Southern California have created a new type of flow battery that uses iron sulfate, a waste product from the mining industry that can release energy over a longer period of time than traditional lithium-ion batteries. Form Energy is installing an aqueous air battery system in Minnesota that leverages some of the most abundant materials on the planet instead of using lithium and other metals. Others, like Noor Midelt in Morocco and a Norwegian company Energy Nest, are implementing thermal batteries made from molten salt or crushed volcanic rock. Such systems work by using excess energy to heat insulated reservoirs, which can be used later to run steam turbines. The molten salt batteries are designed so that heat is lost slowly, enabling inexpensive storage, estimated to be 33 times less expensive per kilowatt hour than batteries. MGA Thermal is exploring another option to replace the coal and coal power plants with a block of blended metals, roughly half the size of a toaster that is stackable like Legos, designed to store extraordinary amounts of heat. Instead of burning coal to boil water in a steam turbine, the alloys can be heated by renewable energy and added to or removed from the boiler to scale energy generation up or down to meet energy demand replacing coal entirely while utilizing the same infrastructure." And there are more teams at work around the globe looking to nature for inspiration and improving on existing systems, seeing if they can utilize existing ideas and power plants to convert them to a greener way of doing things. Microgrids. So when we bring this to a smaller scale, I'd like to tell you about my experience. In fall of 2019, many California residents, myself included, had their power shut off for days at a time and even weeks to reduce the risk of wildfires due to high winds. This has become the norm when the weather is dry here now, and while I have solar panels, I'm not off the grid. I don't actually have battery backups on my property. I feed up to PG&E, who spreads and stores the energy, crediting me for usage, And when the sun goes down, I pull energy from the grid. These days, I'm regretting the choice to build in this way and wishing I had both installed enough panels to cover our home's entire energy needs and invested in battery backups. While individual setups can work to move off the grid, microgrids are another really effective way to handle the challenges faced by large utility companies with monopolistic control like PG&E. Don't get me wrong. The last thing I want is to have a fire start and see the devastation it would pose to my community. I don't want to hear about another friend losing their home. I don't want it to affect me. I don't want to be evacuated for another 10-day stretch from some preventable fire. So in most cases, I think PG&E has a right. High winds. We don't want fires. We shut the power off. But it reveals a latent issue in our system that we have not solved for and that we can and should solve for. The point is that renewable energy built to sustain smaller communities is possible, and it can be just as reliable, if not more so, than a larger infrastructure. It limits the distance traveled from energy creation to the homes it serves or the businesses it serves, which limits power degradation over power lines. It connects with and supports the community, which engages that community in thinking more about their collective power use. One really creative example is shared in the book of Shakamali Matborkandi, where a microgrid corporation, Soulshare, installed a peer-to-peer sharing grid. It allows owners to buy and sell electricity from others in their community. They refer to it as a swarm because it scales easily and quickly. And I have to say, I love that it is community-focused and community-engaged. So what's the summary for today? Drive less, walk more, use public transit. Think about your energy consumption. If you need to drive, consider getting an electric car. I've checked CarMax and checked it again today just to see what it might cost me to buy a second electric vehicle. The BMW i3 with low miles is available for about $15,000. And I'd be putting a well used and possibly well loved vehicle back onto the streets instead of buying new. I've heard good things about them. Perhaps that's a better option than my husband's truck. Another big point is to convert to electric energy only. Install solar panels. And if you're with J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, regrettably like me, perhaps it's time to change where you bank. And if you're not, ask questions about how your bank invests their resources. Every penny you put in that bank account has an effect after all. They use it. They invest it dollars and cents go somewhere, and you'd want to know where they do. This has been our ninth installment in our coverage of Regeneration, Ending the Climate Crisis in One Generation by Paul Hawken. Next week, we'll connect on the topic of industry, from revisiting the topic of big food to healthcare, war, fashion, and plastics. It'll be a fun one. So as we wrap up, I have three simple asks. First, I'd really love it if you'd share this regeneration series. Talk about it with a friend, get them thinking about it. And if you haven't already, consider picking up Paul Hawkins' book. Second, leave us a five-star written review on your favorite podcasting platform. This does a lot to help us climb the charts and reach more people. And third, if you can, if you have the resources to, please become a Patreon member and support our efforts. Thank you for coming on this journey I hope you'll also send me a note with questions for Paul or thoughts on what we can do to support this regeneration movement. The subject of regeneration is such an important topic. So please share this series with your community. We're all in this together after all, and it will take our collective effort to reverse global warming. And remember, every action you take to support this show helps keep me motivated to keep chugging right along. Visit CareMoreBeBetter.com for all the ways you can make a difference and support the show. And don't forget to write that review. You'll feel good doing it. Thank you, listeners, now and always for being a part of this pod and this community, because together we really can do so much more. We can care more and be better. We can regenerate Earth. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts and share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good.